Welcome, everyone, to our podca- my podcast, Biz Connections, B-I-Z, Biz Connections. Today, we have Dusty Williams. Hey, everybody. And Dusty's situated here on this beautiful farm between South Wayne and Browntown along Highway 11. And we're going to talk to Dusty about the ag business because his, his background, you're, you're an ag, agribusiness and farm management instructor at Blackhawk Tech. Yes. In the Monroe been, branch. Uh, actually, this is beginning my 12th year there. 12th year. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. You're also an, an advisor for their professional agricultural students. What, what is that again? Uh, it's a group of students that um, are enrolled in the agriculture program at the school uh, that have interests in agriculture and, and they mm-hmm. compete nationwide and, and statewide mm-hmm. on different uh, contests and uh, everything from crops and soils and dairy and livestock to uh, interviewing, like what we're doing right now, okay. and and public speaking and those types of things as yep. well. What a, the reason I wanted to highlight this with Dusty, there's a lot of misunderstandings, misconceptions about the agricultural business. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're in the middle of agricultural, middle of the ag sector right here. Oh, yeah, Wisconsin, sure. you know? So just a little bit on your background, Dusty, where did you grow up? I grew up up by uh, Hillsboro, Wisconsin, a small little town. Uh, My parents actually own a a dairy farm up there. Uh, They dairy farmed actually for 51 years they milk cows. Um, And uh, they still own the farm. Uh, they they retired from that now, but they, they have actually uh, more beef cattle now than they ever had dairy cattle. And hmm. so uh, we get back there quite often and uh, help with a few things here or there. And, uh, um, you know, it's it's actually situated uh, right next to Wildcat Mountain State Park. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, where okay. that's at on Highway 33, it's a beautiful area, lots of rock outcroppings and uh, just a great place mm-hmm. to grow up and, and uh, spend my time as a kid there. So you're... Pretty much your entire youth, you grew up oh, on the farm. Oh yeah, yeah. My my great 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 uh, great grandfather homesteaded that farm in 1855, and so my dad grew up on that farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my you know lots of relatives grew up on that farm, and it's been in the family for a very long time. Okay, and um, and there's a lot of history there. Uh, my dad could talk to you for days about um, the the history behind the farm and the people that he's researched and things like that too. So and it's they pretty still cool. they still farm. My parents, yes, they still do. Yeah, well, they I'll do. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to do the math on that. That they got to be. Yeah. Uh, so my dad, I think, is 77, and my mom's somewhere uh, somewhere around 75 ish or so. Okay. Um, and yep. I, I might be off a, a year or two there, yep. but. Uh, but right in that area, and they love doing what they do, and and um, you know for them, um, the farm is their vacation. They haven't ever yep. really spent a lot of time traveling or that type of thing because uh, they they realize how lucky they are to live where they do, and it really is a beautiful place. Yeah. So that's how agricultural. I that now. Yeah. Agriculture was in your blood, literally. Oh yeah, and and we had dairy cows and and uh, quarter horses, registered quarter horses, and mm-hmm. always had about twenty head of those around. And, you know, when I was young, I got involved with uh, um, FFA and, and did a lot of that in high mm-hmm. school and and uh, decided that I was going to go on to college and um, initially wanted to become a vet like many other people that love animals. And, yep. and um, you know, about three years into uh, the vet program, I kind of decided, oh, I'm going to finish this, but 
or the pre-vet program, and I'm mm-hmm. going to finish this part, but I'm going to do something different. So yep. went back and spent some time talking to my high school ag teacher, and and uh, he kind of uh, pushed me over the cliff and and decided to go into the, the ag education side of things. Because when I was a senior in high school, there was three things I wanted to be, either a vet um, or a um, uh, high, high school ag teacher, FFA advisor, or a band teacher, because I, I played trumpet and, and was in the national mm-hmm. FFA band and all that kind of stuff too. So that was that was a big deal to me as well. Um, but one of the things I like to talk about mm-hmm. often is is how people's career paths change. And sure. you know, I had a change in college, but if you look back to when I was even in middle school, um, when I was a freshman, middle school age ish, I wanted to move as far away from the farm as possible, okay. and I wanted to go to New York City, and I wanted to be a commercial art uh, graphic design person. And I, I had a passion for art. I loved art. I liked to draw. I loved to do that kind of stuff and work with computers. And hmm. and uh, that was my goal at that point in life. And when I was a freshman in high school, my uh, I wasn't going to uh, take an ag class. I wasn't going to be an FFA. And my dad said, you should really just take one class. And if you don't like it, you know, you don't have to ever do it again, but okay. just try it. And well, then I fell in love with it and the rest is history. Um, and now I teach agriculture, right? And so people's interests yeah. change. Yeah. And you started yeah. out, where was your first teaching job? Yeah. So, um, and I spent about five years in River Falls, University of Wisconsin, River Falls is where I went to school. And Mm-hmm. Uh, I was lucky enough to land an internship at Elkhorn High School. Yeah. Uh, I taught there with Dave Cruz and had a great experience there for a semester. And then I um, uh, had the opportunity to come here to South Wayne uh, and become the ag teacher um, and replaced uh, Dick Meske here uh, after he had been here for 33 years. He um, was my so, ag instructor. Yeah, yeah, great guy yeah. and very accepting and open arms, willing to to you know take me in and and spend time with me too. So had the opportunity to spend three years here um, in South Wayne and Blackhawk High School, and and I really wasn't even looking for a job, um, but this opportunity to start a, a new agriculture program at a technical college came up in Monroe at Blackhawk Tech, and and uh, I applied and. Because somebody told me I should, and, and I got the job. Sure. So that was that yeah. was a from scratch kind of thing. Yeah, it really Blackhawk? it really was. They had uh, mm-hmm. you know Chris Wellington was a dean there at the time, and she um, had worked with uh, one other prior person to kind of get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some. There's a list of classes, and there was some state approved stuff that had been done, but there was a lot of work to be done yet. Sure. And so we started the one year program, and then moved into. Um, about four or five years ago, we started the two-year program. Yeah, and I know a lot of kids. We won't, this could be an hour-long podcast just on that oh, educational yeah, sure. yeah. part, two-year versus four-year. I mean, a lot of people go to the four-year that could probably be better served by a two-year program. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and, and I have students uh, many times that have uh, you know tried school other places and and didn't always uh, have success, and um, then they come to us, and we spend a little bit more time one-on-one. Uh, you know, it's a little more nurturing environment yeah. for some yeah. folks that need that. And uh, and for those people that like hands-on experiences, the technical college is really where it's at. Um, sure. You know, everything that we do is hands-on. Um, we're, we're really training people to do specific things yep. from yep. whether it's being a welder or being a... 
a dental hygienist um, or working in agriculture and being a custom applicator mm-hmm. for a, an FS of the world or, or Landmark. So it's very precise, that career path, you're, you're, you're picking a specific yeah, literally job description, job title. For sure. And, right? and, you know, the, the ag program is a little bit more broad than that, um, yeah. but we serve, you know, many different facets of the industry, mm-hmm. but, but many yeah. of the programs yeah. are very specific. Um, but we have advisory committees that are industry folks like yourself that yeah. uh, that are um, uh, made up of this committee, and they guide us and tell us what they want, need these students to have and the training they have sure. need to have and the certifications yeah. they should have and yeah. those types of things, yeah. And you're married? I am, yeah. My, we, we, my, we have the family here. Yeah, yeah. You guys um, want to say hi? Not everybody's here, but some of them are here. So if you guys want to come around and, and I'll introduce you. You just got an all-female yeah. bunch here. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to uh, marry my beautiful wife, Amy. And uh, Amy actually had uh, um, three kids um, from a prior marriage, and they're my bonus children. One sure. of them is here, uh, Brenna. And uh, the other two, um, Trevor and Tanner, are a little bit older, and, sure. and they're off, uh, you know, working in the world and doing yep. doing some different things. So, um, and then uh, Amy and I have uh, two kids of our own, Delia and Annalene. Yep. And um, I was going to ask him a quick question, if if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we live on a little farm here outside of South Wayne. We've got about twenty five acres, and and we have. Um, uh, you know, chickens and and horses and ponies and rabbits and dogs and cats, a herd of cats, I should say. Uh, and then uh, we also have a small herd of beef cattle too. And and so we have a lot of experiences on the farm, just like I did growing up. And and I was just going to ask them each what they what they like about yeah, living on a yeah. farm. So who wants to start? Uh, my favorite part on the farm is I actually have two things. I like to um, haul manure. Okay. With dad, and I like to ride horse. Nice. Okay. Uh, my favorite thing on the farm is the cows and doing manure with daddy and going on the tractor with daddy. Okay. Um, my favorite thing is to be able to just have so much land. You can do so many different things on it, and we have so many different kinds of animals. It's just like a variety of things that you can do. Like you never get bored out here. Like there's so many things that you can do. So. And my favorite thing would be how peaceful it is and the view of the animals in the pastures. Yeah, great. Yeah, we get to wake up every morning and see what you folks are seeing behind us here, the cattle and the horses and, and all yeah. that. So uh, it's a great opportunity for folks to be able to live on the land and, and you know we we raise our own chickens and butcher our own chickens and and there's nothing better than um, than than you know living off the land and the things that you grow and and uh, and that type of thing. So the kids would agree too that it always tastes better, right? Yeah, yeah. you do you butcher your own chickens and yeah. all that, right? Yeah. Get fresh meat. Yep. Okay. So all right, guys. Thank what you, you. What do you guys do for fun? You have any? You Long like to camp, don't you? And going in the hot tub. Don't you camp or not? Yeah, we actually have a camper um, in the Dells. It's, uh, okay. what's the name of the campsite? Uh, I can't remember. The Wagon Wheel Campground. Yeah, the Wagon Wheel Campground. <laughs> so they're campers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've been doing a little bit of that, too. Right next to the lake, Lakeview. Yep. Cool. Great. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. 
you have any other hobbies, Dusty? Yeah, I mean, I part of my um, my vices are the fact that I have a, a lot of hobbies, and um, it's hard yeah. to get time to do all of the things I like to do. Yeah, um, you know, I'm very mechanical. I like to work on old equipment and restore stuff. I restored a, a 1974 pickup uh, when I started that in, in uh, high school. Um, I, you know, I love animals, so I like, like riding horse and spending time with the horses and that type of thing. And, yep. and one of my big goals was when we got this place was that I really wanted to kind of provide a, a lab farm for my kids and also for my kids at school, too. So uh, my students come out here oftentimes, too, and we do things with the animals and, um, you know, we do things with the land as well. And okay. and part of my hobby is, is also just fixing this place up and, and spending time working on doing those types of things. Uh, I yep. love uh, just being outdoors, hunting, fishing. Um, I hunt uh, deer, turkey, um, bow deer, all that kind of stuff, uh, trout fish. Yeah. Okay. So like doing those types of things. You're busy. <laughs> yeah. Busy, yeah. but doing doing productive stuff, yeah, as I call it. You know, I love I love music. I um you know, I I used to be a DJ back when I was in college, so I got involved with um, music okay. quite a bit. Okay. Um, I I play trumpet, and so uh, okay. you know, I'd love to be back in a, a band at some point someday. I've actually played in three polka bands in my lifetime. Oh, we darn. When I was in high school, I played in one, and then when I was in uh, kind of halfway between high school and college, I played so, in another one, and then. Um, um, well, Dick Schlim and the Peterson Orchestra, I played without those guys before, too. So You did? Yeah, okay. just for not too long, but now, now for a that, while. That's a well-rounded individual yeah. there. Yeah. Man alive. So lots of different I, things I like to do. I never knew that. Yeah. That was, I, I compliment you on that. That's, that's, yeah, pretty, that's pretty neat. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to zip over to talk about the ag business. Okay. You know, a lot of people don't understand really a lot of the intricacies of the agricultural business. Um, you know, we we were talking before this about uh, just in general, like commodities, for instance, and people don't understand how the pricing structure works and why things cost what they do. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of misconceptions. You want to talk about? Yeah, like, definitely. Um, one of the things I always like to start with is, is the fact that we have the cheapest uh, or I should say the most affordable food supply in the world. Uh, when you compare mm. us to every other country in the world, we spend the least amount of money on food. Uh, it's actually somewhere between 11 to 12 percent of our income we spend on food. And when you look at other countries in Europe, uh, most of those countries are anywhere from 17 to 20 percent of their income is on food. So France, for example, is I think 17 percent. Uh, when you go to India, um, they spend about 51% of their income mm-hmm. on food. And so I think one of the things that we need to be really fortunate about is is the fact that we do have an affordable food supply and a plentiful food supply, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so sometimes people don't realize that. You know, I hear people complain all the time, oh, you know, milk costs so much or or uh, meat costs so much or, or uh, you know, the prices in the grocery store are going up so much. Uh, you know, when you really put it in a, a relative perspective, right. Um, right. we are by far um, leaps and bounds uh, the more affordable place to, to buy food in the world. And, and also, too, the, the, the improvements in the technology 
in the farming, just the crop yields as an example. Oh, I mean, for sure. Just, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Um, when you look at, you know, an average cow in 1958 um, probably produced uh, less than 10,000 pounds of milk in a year, right? Okay. Um, and now uh, an average cow today, I mean, even on a larger dairy, an average cow could, could produce 30,000 pounds of milk in a year. And, it, and it's not necessarily because, uh, you know, we're not doing anything um, for as far as genetic modification to make that happen. You know, you hear people talk about GMOs a lot, and we can talk yep. more about that. But yep. it's not because we're, we're putting GMOs in them or anything like that. We're not pumping them full of antibiotics like you see some, you know, things on the Internet. Uh, that That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a simple thing as far as genetics, right? So just genetically uh, looking at selecting for the right traits uh, for these animals to be able to produce more milk and to produce more meat and to be able to provide more for people. And so it's just the advancements in just simple selective breeding over the last 50 years that have brought us to where we're at today. Okay, okay. Yeah, and and that's all it is. And and better feed, you know, no different than, than humans even. Uh, you know, we have uh, kids that are growing taller than all of us, and you know, they, our kids eat better than we did even growing up. Yeah, you don't you don't you think know. about it that way. Yeah, you yeah, don't. You, yeah, you, you yeah. look back. I compare it to, you look at pictures of when the kids that are playing basketball now are seem to be a foot taller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's better nutrition uh, is a lot of it, you know, uh, and huh. and really, um, that's a big part of the production on farms too. Um, if you feed an animal well, they're going to produce well. And, you know, there's there's uh, organizations out there that mm-hmm. try to bash farmers and bash agriculture. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they say that, you know, people mistreat their animals. But, you know, there there's no right-minded person that would ever mistreat their animals because if you treat them well, they're going to produce well. Okay. And and if you treat them well, humanely, and you feed them well, they're going to produce more than the next cow, right, or the next yep. animal. Yep. And so it's important for people to understand that you know farms are these people's livelihood, and and there's no reason for them to do that um, and to mistreat an animal or miss uh, or mm-hmm. not feed an animal. Uh, you know, if they're they're really truly a good farmer, uh, they're going to want to get the most production out of that animal, right? Correct. And so yep. it, it behooves them or benefits them to, to treat them well and also feed them well. Yep. And, and uh, you know, 99% of the population that's out there does that. But there's always one bad apple or, sure. you know, yep. one yep. person that, that, that does uh, bad things. But it's important for consumers to understand that the majority of farmers are in it to produce goods and services or goods for uh, the consumer that that is wholesome, mm-hmm. it's uh, nutritional, and safe for them to consume. Yeah. I know I grew up growing up on a farm myself. We, we really didn't have the technology we used. Mm-hmm. Farmers back then, 50 years ago, I'm talking, really, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think they had the technology they did back, back oh, no, then compared no. to what they have now. Not at all. No, and even we, if you did have the technology, the genetics for some of these animals were not there either. Correct. And yeah. so just, I mean, if you look at what a, a beef cow looked like in 1950 versus what a beef cow looks like today, you would wonder what what somebody did to that animal to make it different, right? Yep. It's simply breeding, right? 
Okay. Even mm-hmm. yeah. uh, another another mm-hmm. very common misconception. If you if you look up on the internet, uh, look up ch- pictures of chickens, right? Mm-hmm. And um, people uh, there, there's pictures of these large plump chickens on there, and uh, with uh, it's like a cartoon of injection needles going into these chickens. Okay. And the the misconception is that we put injection needles into chickens to make them big and plump. That's not even remotely true. Uh, first of all, uh, chickens are not genetically modified. They're not fed genetically modified. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the GMO corn might be uh, part of their diet, but we can talk more about that too. Yeah. But they're not pumped full of antibiotics. It's illegal to to feed antibiotics to chickens. Okay. Um, they are fed a, a wholesome diet. and But the misconception mm-hmm. is that You've got this picture of this big, plump chicken compared to this scrawny, skinny little chicken, right? Right. And this scrawny, skinny little chicken is represented by a chicken from 1960, and this big, plump chicken is a chicken of today, right? Yeah, well, yeah. well, there's two complicated things here for the consumer to understand, is that, number one, we have meat birds, we we have breeds of chickens that are meat birds, right. and yeah. then we have breeds of chickens that are layers. The layers have absolutely no meat on them at all. They're okay. They're okay. they're putting their yep. they're, they're putting yep. their nutrition into making an egg, right? Sure. Okay. Whereas the meat birds are putting their nutrition into making a uh, making meat, right? No yep. different than yep. the beef cows out here. They're big and plump, and and, and they've got lots of muscle because they're beef mm-hmm. cows. Yep. They're raised for meat. Now, dairy cows would look a lot different. They're skinny. And sometimes people say, um, you know, why are your dairy cows so skinny? Uh, You should feed them more. Well, the reality is, is that those cows would be unhealthy if they were fed more. And if dairy cows get too fat, they won't reproduce. Okay. Right? And and a lot of people don't understand that. Okay. And so kind of back to this chicken thing. Yeah. uh, When there's the... There's the whole layer versus meat bird thing, but there's also the genetics, right? So a meat bird from 1950 compared to today is probably 10 pounds different. I mean, it's drastically, I, I, it's not even the same bird. Yeah, I, I never just, had anything, any yeah, insight into that at all. Just, just wow. simply because of selective breeding. So you or I sure. taking this this female and this male, making them together yep. because both of these have, you know, Which is bigger bigger yeah, chicken breasts right. or whatever. Yeah. And so we made them together to produce offspring yeah. that have bigger chicken breasts. And, yeah. you know, and, and just you're using yeah, human yeah. nature yep. to your advantage, basically. Yeah. And, and we've been selectively breeding animals for 10,000 years. I mean, um, yeah. you look at dogs and cats and, and cattle and, and, uh, all the domesticated species have been domesticated in some way, shape, or form uh, from anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 years. Yes. And yep. what's what's kind of interesting is that, um, you know, we do that with domesticated farm animal species, and we also do it with dogs, right? There are something like over 500 different breeds of dogs in mm-hmm. the world and and most consumers are perfectly fine with buying whatever breed of dog, but it's it's the selective breeding that got them to where those dogs are. So when you have little dogs and and big dogs, all okay. 
all little dogs that exist in the world really came from uh, about a, a dozen or so small dogs that were bred specifically in some um, Chinese monastery that were um, taken and captured by European invaders. And they took okay. those dogs, bred them with other types of dogs, and created all kinds of different breeds. And and so when we look at you know selective breeding on farms for mm-hmm. producing a specific thing like meat, right? We we yep. do that. And same thing with dogs. They they breed a specific dog for a specific reason, right? Yep. yep. To either to look this way or to act this way or to uh, be a cow dog or whatever, right? They just didn't, they weren't born that way. Humans, humans did that. And that, yeah. that's, that's one of the reasons when you think about the, the, the prices at the store being what they are. Yeah. You really, our food supply, we take for granted. We, we do. We absolutely do. We do. And, you know, and the, the great thing about uh, living and, and owning a, an agricultural business in the United mm-hmm. States is that we have the freedom to succeed and the freedom to fail, right? Yep. And so, and we also have the freedom to choose how we want to farm, right? In some other countries in the world, uh, the, the government dictates to the farmer exactly how they are supposed to farm. But what's great here is we have the ability to, to have um, folks that are you know, large-scale producers, small-scale yeah, producers. Yeah. Uh, we've got people that are in between. We've got organics, non-organics. We've got uh, community-supported agriculture. We have all kinds of things where, you know, if you decide you want to farm a certain way, mm-hmm. great. Then you farm that way. If I want to farm you, differently, it, then I farm that yeah, way. Yeah, you, you sink or yeah. swim on your own merits. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yep. And, it, is, isn't Canada's system different right um, So Canada has a, a, a quota system for their milk yeah. um, in particular. I, and I'm not familiar if there's any differences in other commodities. but. Yeah. You know, and it's a system that's that's been uh, in Europe as well, and and there's so we could talk a little bit about the conceptions of that too, because um, you know, folks, some folks believe the quota system is the answer to everything because you're you're only producing a certain amount, so you regulate the supply, and you're getting a set amount of price for your milk, right? Yeah, and and Canadians get that, but what people don't understand is that that quota costs something, right? And so if I wanted to start a farm in Canada and I my family did not own a farm, I would have to go out and I'd have to buy quota from somebody. I'd have to get your quota, for example, You'd right? You'd have to buy your way they, in. They don't, they don't yeah. just create new quota. The government has a set amount and we can only produce this much, right? So uh, the last time I, I had heard uh, a quota for one cow in Canada was $30,000. For one cow. For one cow. That's not to buy the cow. That's, that's to, just to, to get... buy the rights to be able to produce milk from one cow. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Uh... So uh, you see where the issue lies is that anybody that wants to try to get in, like a young person or somebody that doesn't have a farm already, there's there's you, zero you, you beginning have, You farmers. have no chance almost. No chance, yeah. Wow. Um, well, now here, freedom, freedom versus not having freedom. Yeah, basically. Now, now here, I mean, people could argue too that well, there's there's very little chance for a beginning farmer to get started here too because the capital cost is so great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the upfront cost, but but still, there there is still that right and that ability, and and people are reluctant to give away that freedom, right? Yeah. 
And yeah. and so I'll give you another example. So I know I know a young farmer that uh, he went to UW Platteville, graduated, built a small freestyle barn, had like a hundred cows, uh, then wanted to expand. Right, okay. so he built another building at Andrew's freestyle barn, and uh, and he now has two, and he's got I think around three hundred cows or so. Right, so who are we to tell him that he can't expand? Correct. Yeah, and then he can't better himself yeah, and it's, grow. It's no business different than a, run, running a yeah, conventional. Yeah, no different than and, your insurance and, and, business. Insurance business. If I want to expand, uh, yeah. who is who is who is it for someone to tell me? No, you can't go into yeah. this town. Or you can't. Add this many people on your bill. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, um, iconically, people like to see this. I mean, if you look around, you'll see the old dairy barn that's up here. And they like yeah. to see the little red barns and the little barnyards and 20 cows. And and that's great. But the reality is, is that it doesn't sustain itself anymore financially to do that. Unless, unless they're going to do something to create a niche um, you know, bring people into their farm or do farm stays or sell their product direct to the consumer, you know, those types of things as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's the, that's, that's the, the reality. Now, now in Europe and Canada where quota systems have existed, there mm-hmm. are a lot of small farms and that's what a quota system does is it keeps the small yep. farms small. Yeah. But it would be like me telling you that you, when you, you started your, your you insurance business, yeah. you only have a set amount of clients and you can have no more. Yeah, right? he's putting a lid on it. Correct. And yeah. and so, you know, do the small farms make a good living and survive? Probably. But there's also no, you know, fr- free enterprise system. Free enterprise, right? yeah. You know, yeah. What we call laissez-faire system here in yep, the United yep. States. We don't have that. Yep. Or we wouldn't have that if we did a quota system. So. There's there's advantages and disadvantages to both, for sure. Yeah, and I, we what, could, one thing related to that. Sorry to interrupt you, no. but but Canada sells a gallon of milk for about uh, eight dollars for a gallon of milk. That's that's a huge difference from oh yeah at all. yeah and and so um, you know they they can if they live close to the border they can come across the border and they can buy um, I think it's eight gallons um, yeah. and take it yeah. back across and they do that because they can buy it for a lot cheaper here. But well, we can produce that milk um, at a lot, you know, lower cost to the consumer because there's economies of scale, and and we have a free enterprise system, and so yep. you know somebody pays the price, right? Whether it's the government or the consumer or the farmer, in every system, there's there's yeah. somebody that's yeah. paying the price. And really, if you think about it, farming is no different than if you just compare it to other business models. Yeah, people forget that, but Farm- people don't. People don't. People don't consider small farms, and in particular, small businesses. They they consider them a way of life, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and so, yep, yep. Uh, but and that's and that's the, the probably the 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 mistake that a lot of small farms have made over the years is that that they consider it a way of life, right? And they don't necessarily dive into the finances of the business yep. and really look at. Okay, what's making me money? What's not? What do I need to do and improve? What do I need to do to change? Uh, many times, it's uh, you know, even through unfortunately throughout this tough time uh, where we've had some tough prices in ag, yeah, um, yeah. a lot of times folks get in denial and and they'll say things like, uh, you know, we've always been able to as long as I work hard, mm-hmm. I'll, I've always been able to provide. 
But the problem is, is that we've had more down years in recent years than we have had up years. And my dad would probably tell you that too, that, you know, throughout the sixties and seventies and even some of the eighties years where he farmed, uh, there were, there were more better years than bad years. And, and so, um, in some ways the folks that had that opportunity, they lucked out, right? Um, uh, don't get me wrong. It's, it's Mm -hmm. not easy to farm and there's a lot of tough decisions that you have to make, Mm -hmm. uh, financially and whatnot, but but when you're up against a wall where prices are bad for several years in a row, it's pretty tough to overcome that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And 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 because people live on the farm, you know, they they have a, a more of a tie to it, and they consider it more of a way of a life than a business. Yep. And and they say things like, "Well, what what else am I going to do? Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm only a farmer." But the reality is, is that. Only farmers are incredibly qualified to do a lot of things, and and a farmer might consider themselves <laughs> only a farmer, but really they're jack jacks of all trades, yep. and they're incredibly qualified to do lots of things mechanically and run equipment, and and they don't often give themselves enough credit for what skills they do right. have. If you had to hire everything out, yeah, individually, farm, farm kids, yeah. Are, farm kids are the same way, yeah. Um, and they say, "Well, I'm just a farm kid." Well, you know, when you grow yeah. up on a on a farm, you kind of get sometimes beaten down by the amount of work you got to do, and parents, and you know, riding you about stuff all the time. And, no, you, you learn and a lot of different skills. You do, but I mean, you feel like you're just a farm kid, right? Right. Um, right. After mom and yeah. dad been, been through yeah, it, with you, it's a label. Yeah, and, it's and, a label. And yeah. but but when they come to college, I'm yeah. like. No, you're not just a farm kid. You are a farm kid that is incredibly hireable by many different companies. Yeah, yeah. And and kids don't realize that. Yeah, because the agricultural so, sector has a lot of options now for kids, yeah. young and old alike, not yeah. just kids, but anybody so, who wants to get into that field. I, I find myself oftentimes having to build them up um, yeah. because their their um, confidence level and their skill set is, is, uh, is not great. But um, but we, we get them good jobs and things too. Right, so, right. But yeah, sorry, but I digress no, there, there, there a little there's, bit. There's but. great options. I mean, there's there's so many different parts of the agricultural business. We could do two or three podcasts on different subjects. Mm-hmm. You know, we just drove through Illinois and Iowa yesterday, and you see all the corn, the soybeans, and endless rows of corn. And I know the renewable energy sector is growing, and, mm-hmm. and that that actually helps. You know, the, the the agricultural business isn't just uh, food. Oh yeah, food people, people and fuel, forget, you know, fiber. You know, the clothing you're wearing. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, many of those things are are made. There's the corn in particular has over three thousand different uses, um, just in in modern day society. Yeah. And so yeah. it gets used for a lot of different things. It's not just food. It's not just uh, ethanol. Um, you know. Yeah. Um, the feed that that uh, is left over from from the ethanol, the distiller's mm-hmm. grain that gets fed to the the cattle, um, lots of great benefits from all that. You know, sometimes people don't realize the other things that come off from that too, like the carbon dioxide that's that's harvested from ethanol plants and and used to put into sodas yeah. and things like that yeah. too, carbonation. Um, but you know, it, if we didn't have ethanol, we would have. Um, we, we would have a lot of product and no place to go with it. Um, again, with genetics, we have come so far from, mm-hmm. you know, in the 50s. Uh, actually, if you go back even further into the 20s, you, you'd be lucky if you got 20 bushel of corn off from a field. 
And, Correct. And, yep. and now you can get easily close to 200 or 250 or maybe even 300 or more bushels off from a field and, uh, of corn. And so... And that's all just genetics, and and when we talk about yeah, things yeah. like GMOs, right? Let's go into that a little bit. Right. If you're okay with yep, that. Yep. So first, you know, when you ask people what is a GMO, they they first try to tell you what it stands for, and most people don't even, can't even tell you that. And and it's a genetically modified organism, right? And so, and. It can be modified in, in a few different ways, but essentially the, the, the very simplistic description of what that is mm-hmm. is we take a corn plant or any plant for that matter that we want to try to improve, right? Sure. And we want to make that plant maybe resistant to a certain insect so that insect won't hurt it, like something like a corn rootworm, for example. Okay. And so we take that plant... We find another plant that has, or another organism that has a natural resistance to that corn rootworm or that specific insect. Okay. And we take this, we find uh, after sequencing the, the genome or the genetics of that DNA strand of this other mm-hmm. organism, okay. we find specifically where on that gene strand it codes for that specific trait that creates resistance for that insect, okay? Okay. So um, we've got a, um, a trait that's been around for a long time called BT. It stands for um, Bacillus thuringiensis. It's a bacteria that um, in the soil that had this specific trait that was resistant to corn rootworms. And scientists found that that these corn rootworms wouldn't bother this particular bacteria. They'd actually shy away from it. And, and so we take this specific trait and we insert only that specific tiny little trait <laughs> that is coded for that specific gene into this corn plant, okay? So it's not the whole DNA strand from this other organism. It's not even sections of it. It's, it's the specific part for that thing we're looking for. Okay. We take it out, splice it out, and insert it into this corn plant over here. And now we can take the seed from this corn plant, put it in the ground, and it grows, and the, the insects won't bother it. So the huge benefit to this is that there is no insecticide use. Okay, you probably okay. remember when okay, you were yep. a kid. Yes, yep. Uh, growing up on the farm, every farmer used insecticides. Insecticide. Right? Oh, yeah. There is, there is very little insecticide that is, that is sprayed onto fields anymore. Um, there is insecticide that's put onto the seed. So when the seed gets planted in the ground, it has oh. a protective coating so that the insects won't eat the seed while it's trying to germinate. But that's... No, that that's very but, educational, right there. Yeah, I mean, but there's, that, there's that's that's huge. Oh, it is huge. Oh, it's a huge and, deal. and people don't realize that they think, oh, GMOs are bad for me because, oh, no. oh this thing has been modified in a lab and it's going to make me grow green ears or something, you know. Right. And and no. and no, it's just it, a simply a change in taking this gene out, putting it in over here to simply do some specific thing, and. And the other thing that is another misconception that's out there is that that um, there's you know everything is a GMO anymore. Yeah. In fact, there are only ten crops that have been genetically modified in the world. Ten. Okay. Ten. Ten. Corn is one of them. Alfalfa is another one. You can buy Roundup Ready 
alfalfa. So, you know, we modified that alfalfa so it has a specific trait that allows you to spray Roundup on it without killing it. Kills everything else yep, except yep. for the the, yep. the alfalfa because it's resistant to that trait. And so farmers that are growing alfalfa for seed production or growing alfalfa to haul across state lines like from the Dakotas to here and they can't be shipping alfalfa that has weeds in it, okay. that's a great thing for them because they can they can grow the alfalfa, they can spray Roundup on it, kills everything so there's no weeds, no weed seed in it, and they can yeah. legally transport it to here or back and forth. It's a huge um, because of that. Save save it's just a yeah. huge saving in time oh, and yeah. money and oh yeah. And quality. Yeah, quality. Too. Yeah, great. Definitely. Yeah. So there's there there and papaya in particular is one that's a success story as well. Papaya is genetically modified. Um, it's it's estimated that that the papaya plant would uh, be extinct at this point if they would not have genetically modified it. Sure, okay. there was a disease okay. that came through, and it was incredibly de- detrimental to even uh, some U.S. Uh, papaya growers in Hawaii and yeah. in California in that area. Uh, they they lost thousands of trees and and plants right. and and uh, so. They genetically modified it, and now it's resistant to that particular disease. When, so, when, I, when I hear you talk about that, it gives me hope for COVID. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because uh, you know, it's, there's it's, there's opportunity there. Yeah, and I mean, find it's something. a whole different. That's um, a whole different subject. But just it, think of the fighting a virus is a lot different right, than any specific, but, but just, you know, fungus just, or that type of thing. Yeah, just, just think of the but, the scientific, like the wisdom that goes into. Oh yeah, just, lots just, of science that goes in. Good... I mean, people have no. Uh, most consumers have no idea how much science goes into ag, yeah. and everything we do is science based. And yeah, and and that's part of the frustration I think too from consumers is that you know we talk about science too much, right? As agricultural oh. producers, everything we do is science based, and so we talk about it a lot. Sure, and so sometimes. You know the consumer um, takes that as oh well you're talking over here I'm I'm here I don't really understand what you're talking about when I start talking about BT corn uh, you glaze over and you're gone you're in the right? headlights yeah yeah and so I, I I don't blame them for uh, for for not understanding because but, for years our industry has pushed science right correct onto the consumer yeah. and onto everybody. And we need to do a better job at relating to the consumer yeah, and saying, yeah. I feel this way and I understand yeah. this way because the, I feel this is the best thing for my farm and the best thing for you as yeah, a consumer, it, it, too. It, it, it clear, yeah. I think it cleared a lot of the the, 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 the fog, yeah. I call it, that I, I learned a lot just, and I thought I knew a little bit about farming, but I really, yeah. really didn't. Yeah. I grew up on a farm. So well, it's changed so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, I've got one more thing if you got time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, one other thing that is is incredibly frustrating for consumers is food labeling. Okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, when you go to the grocery store and you look at a package of food and you read it, what does all that mean? Right? Yeah, you can't uh, spell half the words. Well, I mean, and the, the, the nutritional analysis on the back is, is standardized and that's, that's law and it's... Um, uh, it's uh, backed up and it's policed and all that kind of stuff. But okay. but really, the only thing that is policed on a food label is the guaranteed analysis. So when you look at that, what what the protein and what the carbohydrate and the ingredients and all that, that that is monitored and um, and approved by the USDA, FDA, all that kind of stuff. Okay. 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 So 
What isn't is all the other stuff. So when you go to the store and you see on the shelf a package of butter that that says gluten free on that package yep, of yep, butter. Yep. Well, I hate to break it to you, but all butter is gluten free. There's no <laughs> gluten in butter. It's it's made out of milk, right? So gluten sure. gluten uh, is a part of a corn kernel the, of the the coating of the kernel that uh, that some people do have intolerances to. You yep. know, people that have um, okay. Yep. Um, uh, Crohn's and uh, celiacs and things like that uh, have intolerances to gluten, right? And and people have found that if they eat less gluten, they sometimes might feel a little bit better because we do eat a lot of gluten. We eat a lot of uh, breads and carbohydrates and all that kind sure. of stuff, yeah, right? And, loaded, and, yep. and a lot of that all has that kind of stuff in it. And it might not be necessarily the gluten. It might just be too much carbohydrates in the diet too. And you know, and, I, and I'm not going to get into that too much, but but the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at a package, take it for what it's worth because it, it may not be telling you the exact thing that you really need to know because okay, okay. it's marketing, right? So why did the company put gluten-free on this package of butter? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, just, just to, to, get sell you it, to, buy to sell it, it yeah, right? Because right. if you're looking for gluten-free right. stuff it, it, and you say, oh, they came out with gluten-free oh, wow. butter. You're like, whoa, this is... I'm going to buy this, this one is gonna save me over a lot of the misery. other one that doesn't say gluten-free, right? But in all reality, none of them have gluten in them. That's, and and it's a marketing ploy. That, that's a, okay. a sleight of hand, so, as you call it. Yeah. So there are other things like um, when you see something that says farm fresh, it doesn't necessarily mean it came from a small farm. If it had a little red barn on the package, it doesn't mean it came from a little red barn. Uh, if it says, uh, you know, grass-fed, I mean, it might mean that it is, but there's no real certification. The only certification that exists really in the United States is organic. So when you see that little green and brown seal that says USDA yes, organic I, yeah. certified, that's really um, they have more stringent there's 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 a stringent guidelines and testing and monitoring I mean we could talk about how you know sometimes and anything can have a conspiracy theory behind it right sure but, um, just like uh, Trump talking about the voting and and all the fraud that's going on right, and all, right. well who knows if there is or if there isn't but you know, somebody could always um, doctor or taint whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But the fact of the so matter is, is there are very strict guidelines for organics in the United States. Okay. And you have to be uh, certified and you're, you're tested and you are inspected on a regular annual basis. And you have to go through trainings and whatnot to, to get there. And it's a lot of work and a lot of money to be organic, too, uh, because you have to go for three so, years without using any antibiotics on your farm, any f uh, commercial fertilizers on your so field. That's, that's more legitimate. Yeah. Oh, that, it that, is. That's very legitimate. very legitimate. Yes, very legitimate. If you're looking to buy specifically organic things, okay. USD Organic um, Seal yeah. is pretty solid, right? Okay. But if you see anything else on a package... Uh, that doesn't say USDA certified, it means nothing, right? Sure. Okay. A picture of the, okay. the quintessential little red barn with yeah. the, the rolling hills means nothing, right? Uh, those those eggs that are in that package could have been raised in a, the, in a large confinement, you know, facility. Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 uh, the gluten-free thing, the grass-fed, um, you know, there are some some uh, industry standardized grass-fed types of things, but they're going to have a little seal. 
If it just says grass fed, doesn't really mean that it is. It's it's, it's a know, marketing. It's a marketing thing. thing. Uh, GMO free, right? Okay. Okay. We just got done talking about how there are only ten genetically modified things known to man yeah, that are yeah. modified. Well, no chicken is genetically modified. Yet you hear on TV and you go to the store and look on the package, GMO free chicken, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Or antibiotic free chicken. Well, you can't use antibiotics. You can't feed antibiotics to chickens anyway. <laughs> They're repeating something that everybody else has. Correct. Um, right. I mean, correct. <laughs> and so if you're the first one to put that on your package, you're going to get more sales because sure. the consumer automatically thinks, well, if it doesn't have antibiotics, it's better for me. <laughs> if it's not GMO, it's better for me. Right. But in all reality, None of that is GMO, okay. and none of it is, is fed antibiotics. Not, no, I'm not going to say that antibiotics are not used at all, because if an animal is sick and they're not organic, mm-hmm. people are going to treat their animals. Sure. Like if one of my cows out here is sick, I'm not going to just let it die. Right. Right. No different than you yeah. You wouldn't just let your kid die. Yeah, you want to give uh, them you medicine. You give, give them something yeah. to keep them alive, right? Yeah. Because, right. I mean, heck, you can, you can die from pneumonia if you don't get some antibiotics in you. Right. Yep. So, and the same thing with cattle and chickens and, and all that. So, okay. so farmers will, will treat their animals, but it, it's not like we just feed, you know, pump yeah, you, antibiotics you, you, into Right, into we're them. not injecting them. Yeah, like, unless they're it. organic. So, you know, organic ones cannot be treated ever with okay. antibiotics. Okay. And so if, you, okay. if a consumer wants something like that, then they need to buy organic, and and then they can and, pretty much guarantee that they haven't had antibiotics. Yeah, and usually, of course, it's yeah. priced accordingly, usually, too. Yeah, so, I, so, yeah. so I, I, yeah. we know we talked about a lot, and, yeah. and uh, we could probably yeah. talk more, but this it's is, been fun. This has been, uh, hopefully, educational. Um, we're going to probably do a couple more of these in the future if you got yeah. time. Yeah, for sure. I'd we be could, happy we to could, do that. We could really hit. We've only covered a couple areas here. Yes, yeah. And uh, I always like to have fun at the end here. We're losing our sunlight. Oh, we do have a light here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I was going to ask uh, if, if you uh, if you had one maybe truth or piece of advice you could pass along. Uh, get to know your farmer, right? Uh, go find a farmer and get to know them, right? So many people live in this country today, and they they live out in the countryside or even in town, and they don't even get to know their neighbors, right? Yeah, so. Sure. It's not like it used to be where everybody knew everybody, and yeah, you right. could you could just drive into your neighbor and sit and chat with for, with them for a while. But we've got all kinds of folks that are you know hmm. uh, from the the city that they move on to the countryside and they want to enjoy the country life, right? Uh, but but everybody kind of keeps themselves and does their own thing. And and you might have a farmer that's right down the road, like me. Like I've got I've got eleven head of cattle out here. I'm going to have yeah. a steer ready to butcher in March, right? Sure. And so uh, if you're my neighbor and and uh, you'd like to buy a, a quarter of a steer or a half a steer, I would sit down with you and explain exactly what you need to know, how it's going to be done, yep. And, yep. And, and what it would cost and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think uh, many consumers don't realize those opportunities exist, right? And during this COVID time, okay. it has pushed people to get a little bit more concerned about that when you had uh, beef shortages and, and yes, you know, yeah, pot roasts yeah, that are yeah. $100 in the store. Yes. And yeah. so lots of farmers were feeding, or not feeding, but um, 
well, literally feeding, but but selling quarters and halves to local consumers. Okay. Right? And so uh, sometimes consumers don't even know that's a possible thing they can do, right? And go and buy from your local uh, local farmer. Uh, you can't mm-hmm. buy milk uh, because it has to be pasteurized, but... You know, cheeses and local goods and um, half a pork or um, especially beef. maple sugar, yeah. uh, maple syrup and honey and all kinds of things that are that are grown locally. Uh, the uh, chickens, chickens, for that matter. You know, people it, eat a lot of chicken. Yeah, and they're yeah. all over the place. People are always selling chickens, and and so get to know your local farmer. They want to get to know you because they would rather sell to you. Than sure, to sell sure. to the market because they can cut out the middleman and they can make more profit if they sell right to you. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I do what I do because I can make more money selling to my we, neighbors than I can taking it to the market and letting somebody we, else. Make we, that we've money. always our family has always bought yeah from a local couple different farmers. Yep. And it's the quality is excellent. Yeah, and I tell you or, what. Or or go to your local local butcher shop, right? Um, sure. So you know where yeah. your food comes from. Yeah. And because you know that that steer, that pig came from somewhere around the local area. Here's another little fact for you, Ron. What's that? The average bite of food in the United States travels 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles. Every bite of food, on average, across the United States, every bite of food you put in your mouth, there's 1,500 miles. There's 1,500 miles. Yes. Okay, now that's interesting. So when I say get to know your local farmer, you know, buy local, yeah. get to know your local farmer, get, get to make a connection you, with them. You're going to have better, you, better quality because it's fresh, it's local, you're supporting a local and, entity. And it's, and it's more efficient. You know, it is more efficient Way more to efficient. some degree. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm also not trying to bash the big farmer or the, you know, the Walmarts of the world or whatever because sure. they all serve their own purpose, and, yep. and it's yep. a great place to buy products and things like that too. And food, it, like I said, it's safe and it's, and it's affordable. But be aware. But, be aware of it. Yeah. But be aware that if you want that opportunity to, to be able to do that, that it's there. Yeah, that's a, that's sure. a very good point. Yeah. So I want to thank Dusty. Yeah, no we'll problem. We'll do this again. Anytime. And, My uh, porch is open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, so this is Ron Denner, your host for Biz Connections. And I just want to remind you, I'll be doing another podcast next Wednesday. It'll be Personal Growth Recipes. And I'll, I'll announce my next Biz Connections podcast when I do my little Facebook spiel I do on Saturdays. So probably in a couple of weeks. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, YouTube, under Biz Connections. And until then, this is Ron Denner. And thank, thanks again, Dusty. Thanks a lot. Signing off.